Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guests as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Sarah. I am delighted to have you this morning on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Um, I think you probably picked up on the vibe. I am excited to have you as my guest this morning. It is Giving Tuesday. Uh, We're probably broadcasting this several weeks later. But uh, Sarah, I have been familiarizing myself with your message, with your TED Talk, with your organization. And uh, so I'm really excited, as I'm sure will emerge in our conversation. Uh, But uh, before we dive into that, how about we just have the pleasure of your introduction? Tell us who you are. Thank you, Jason. And I am delighted to be here with you, especially, you know, today, Giving Tuesday. Everybody is exciting. Um, Everybody for sure have their inboxes and all their social media feeds, you know, with a lot of uh, messages around generosity. And I I, I just love this day. Um, So thank you so much for having me today. Um, Who I am? Who am I, right? Uh, My name is Sara Lomelin. I am originally from Mexico City. I moved to the U.S. 26 years ago. Um, you know, when I came here, uh, the idea was to be here just for a couple of years. I came for, for graduate school. And then 26 years later, I'm still here. Um, I am Amer- an American citizen. I am a Mexican citizen. Um, I, I, didn't started my, I didn't start my career in fundraising or in nonprofits. I have a, a corporate career in Mexico. Um, I studied communications. And then after moving to the US, I had my own business for a few years. I used to make baby sleeping bags, believe it or not, for car seats and strollers. Um, and then about 12 years ago, I, um, I started, um, I completely reinvented myself and started uh, into the fundraising path and working for nonprofits and foundations. And I, from that first moment, I keep learning and enjoying and just, you know, uh, totally in love with uh, the career path that I have taken. So, Sarah, I think you're the first person that I've talked to in a long time, perhaps from the Bay Area, I was kind of interested in what, um, how has the pandemic sort of played out in the Bay Area? And, and I, I asked that because uh, my wife and I are very fond of San Francisco. My Before my wife and I got married, uh, my parents lived up in Marin County, coincidentally, for a season. The military had dad over in, in Oakland, and, and they lived up in Marin. And my wife and I, is, I don't get to tell this story often, but we were engaged on the Golden Gate. 
Uh, that's oh. where we were. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so when somebody, as you shared, uh, that you're from the Bay Area, that always uh, I always hear that. And uh, and I actually worked at Alcatraz for about six months. You know, it's a it's actually a tourist attraction, and uh, so I worked out there for about six months. And Eric, my wife, who I'd met in college, she flew out for Christmas one year. I walked her up on the Golden Gate on Christmas Eve, and it's all that's everything everything wow. since then. So. Yeah. Well, you so know, what has fundraising go- been like in the Bay Area? Well, you know, the, the, the Golden Gate is one of my favorite, you know, parts of San Francisco. I, I have been in the Bay Area for 17 years now. Um, so it's basically home. Um, the pandemic was hard in the Bay Area. Uh, because as you know, it was kind of uh, almost ground zero for, for the pandemic in the U.S. Um, at that point, I was uh, working with a nonprofit called uh, Opportunity Fund. And I was taking BART. And for, you know, those in the audience that don't know what BART is, is the, the metro system. So yes, I was yes. taking public transportation every single day. Um, it is a miracle that I didn't get covid those first few months because you know you are there inside the the BART um, at rush hour right so um, the pandemic hit San Francisco hard Um, actually um, as you know you know there are so many tech companies right in the Bay Area and in San Francisco and right now you have all those huge buildings empty empty yeah like you know even even though uh, companies have been going back to the office, but it's, you know, two days a week, three days a week. Um, the city suffered really, really badly because a lot of the little restaurants and coffee shops and everything that was around the financial district and, you know, downtown San Francisco that was serving all those thousands of, you know, tech employees every day went under and and yeah. they're not back there. so. You know, I know every single city suffered with the pandemic, but um, I have been, I was back in New York last year and uh, and I saw New York like back in business, right? San Francisco yeah. still doesn't feel that it's completely back in, in business. And that, you know, like, you know, it's, it's sad for me. Um, and then your second question was about fundraising in the Bay Area. Um you know, it's it's funny because there's a lot of money in the Bay Area, a lot of, yeah. you know, corporate money, a lot of foundations. Uh, yeah. It is a very progressive um, and liberal area of the country. Um, but, you know, fundraising is hard. And I know everybody that is here knows, knows that uh, our, our fundraising professionals and, and, you know, it's hard and, and, and you know, you have to, to be very creative and, and, and listen to your audience to your donors uh and and you know uh be tweaking how you you cater to them right so um i guess it's it's not as easy as a lot of people may think that you know raising money in the area is um i worked for eight years at the latino community foundation in san francisco um so we had a very you know niche uh audience we wanted to inspire philanthropy by and for Latinos. Uh, so yeah. for me, the very first thing that I did was how do I engage the Latino community in philanthropy, right? Because for me, it was very important that if I was going to go to a big foundation, like, you know, uh, Hewlett or Packard or the Marine Community Foundation or any foundation or corporation to ask for money, and they were going to ask, okay, how is your community supporting the foundation? I could say, yes, you know, I have this many individual donors. So that is how I got involved in giving circles. That was my first, you know, um, uh, way to get involved in giving circles. Um, when I first joined the, the Latino Community Foundation, um, we didn't have that many individual donors. Uh, yeah. We just had, you know, a big fundraising event every year. Um, and as you know, all those big galas are, people think that by buying a ticket to a gala, they are donating. 
But the reality yeah. is that they're not. You know, those yeah. events are extremely expensive. So it's yeah. more about, you know, the image and getting the corporate sponsors. But for the individual tickets, you're not making any money. Maybe you're making five, ten dollars out of an individual ticket, right? So yeah. um the way I I started engaging individual donors was uh by starting a giving circle. So I started the Latina Giving Circle in San Francisco in 2012 with a group of 14 women. Um, and maybe I can go back, uh, Jason, and tell the audience what a Giving Circle is. Um, I know most people know, but it's it's always, I think, important, right? Um, a Giving Circle is a group of people with shared values that get together to create change. Uh, so instead of you and I supporting the same cause, but you giving, you know, a hundred dollar donation to a certain organization and I, you know, supporting a, a second organization, we get together and we give collectively, right? And this yeah. way, when you, when you are giving collectively, you have an impact that is multiplied by the power of the group. You have more dollars, you have, um, you know, a bigger community, um, a bigger belonging, et cetera, et cetera. I started thinking about, because I, I've been writing about giving circles in combination with direct giving, with do donor advised funds, and it's sort of trying, it's, and, um, and some other sort of ways in which I'm seeing donors sort of um, take their agency back. Does that make sense? I, I'm, yes. I'm sort of seeing the donor who is frustrated with what I would consider to be this early 20th century definition of fundraising that's very much consumer-like. And so when I see what you're advocating for, this evolution, or maybe just this uh, return, maybe this revolution, sort of going back to the donor becoming more citizen-like rather than consumer-like. Does that make sense to you? I mean, that's okay. what I see. When I listen When I listen to everything you say in your 15-minute TED Talk, when I listen to sort of how you've just started, sort of kicked our conversation off, I see this donor as a citizen rather than a donor as a consumer. Totally, because I, for me, and going back to that first giving circle that I started at Latino Community Foundation, right? Yeah. Um, I was starting this giving circle with a group of women that looked like me. Um, a lot of us coming from different countries in Latin America with very corrupt governments a lot of the times yeah. and very corrupt institutions. And, um, and we tend not to trust, right? So, you know, in Mexico, when, when there is an earthquake or something, a flood, People send in-kind donations like bottles of water, you know, cans of tuna, whatever. And yeah. people put on with Sharpie, like they write donation. Because yeah. you want that can of tuna or that bottle of water to really get to the people that need it, right? So when I first got together with a group of friends and I said, okay, we're starting this giving circle. Each of us is going to give $1,000 a year, and we're all going to decide where the money goes. People look at me like, hmm, I don't know if I trust this. <laughs> and, and I said, you know what? This is totally transparent. You are going to be the ones deciding what is that cost that you care about. I mean, and I'm talking, you know, what you were mentioning about the agency, right? Yes, the, yes. The people in the giving circle, the very first thing that they do is getting together and go around the room and talk each of them, say, what are you passionate about? What is that that moves you? What are those values that guide your life and guide your giving, right? And we as a group are going to define what are those values for the group, what are those common values? And we are all going to decide what is that cause that we feel passionate about? Are we passionate about early childhood education? Are we passionate about, um, you know, supporting senior citizens? What are we passionate about? After that, you know, so everything is transparent. After that, we're all going to learn together. Because, you know, a lot of times people ask me like, oh, are giving circles kind of crowdfunding? And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> crowdfunding is collective giving. Giving circles 
is another way of collective giving. Giving Tuesday is another way of collective giving. Like there are different, you know, mutual aid societies, donor collaboratives. All these are different models of collective giving. In particular with giving circles that I don't know that I saw before, because I I remember in my last job, I interacted with a, a group of a giving circle group that was organized with a group of very affluent women in our community. And I thought, I don't know if I I don't know how I feel about this. I think it was a control issue or something that I had. Perhaps it was my male patriarchyism sort of clicking in there too. I don't know. But um but Sarah, I think I think to to sort of uh, there's there's a collectiveness in the decision making process, isn't there? In in oh, crowdfunding, for example, and on Giving Tuesday, for example, there's really not a lot of collectiveness going on. It feels like like today we're all sitting here on top of Giving Tuesday. It feels like we're doing it together, but we're still doing it as individuals. Like I'm still responding to emails and whatever you know, whoever I decide to give to today on my local Give Day, it's still very individualized. But what yes I think is no. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes no, with Giving Tuesday. Uh, yeah, let's let's you know uh, take. Let's this, unravel um, that. Let's unravel this. Yes and no with Giving Tuesday. Yes, because you and I are responding to emails are, where you know maybe doubling down on the uh, on donations of the organization that we care about. But a big part of Giving Tuesday that people don't know, especially at the international level, there are many initiatives around Giving Tuesday that is group of people doing activities together, volunteering together, giving back together. So there is a lot of collective okay, okay. in right. Giving I get Tuesday. That. But, but yes. yes, as you say, there's also, you know, the individual part. With crowdfunding, yeah. I'm totally, you know, in line with you. In a crowdfunding yeah. campaign, you go, you give, and five minutes later, most of the time, you don't even remember what you give to. Right, because right. you crowdfunding is very reactive, right? Your cousin, your friend, your neighbor tells you to ask you to donate to that cause that they care about. You go, you donate, you forget about it. There is no, as you said, there is no a collective decision making. In giving circles, there is not only around the cause, but also around where you know where that pooled fund is going to go. Because after, you know, after people decide on the cause that they want to, uh, to, to support, they learn about that cause. They learn about the challenges and the opportunities, what is going on on the ground. And the great part about the giving circle is that you, um, and that is, you know, the second kind of the second step. We talk about the first step of a giving circle, which is this creating this sense of belonging or community, right? Yeah. The right. second step is opening this space for discourse. That for me is key. And it doesn't happen in another in another type of collective giving, but in giving circles. Because you have around the same table or virtual table, if you want it, people that even though we have, you know, uh, shared values, we may have very different perspectives in a lot of things. We may think very differently, very differently, you know, politically or, you know, in many different things. And what a giving circle does is it opens up your mind and your heart of listening to the other person, listening to other perspectives. And I feel that right now, in this moment in time, it's something that we deeply need as a country, as citizens of this world, right? We need to be able to debate with one another without, you know, picking each other's eyes and strangling each other and just like completely so saying, get, I'm going so, to unfollow so, you and block you forever. Right, for right. So, yeah. so you can get at that decision making process. I mean, I, I, I thought as I was reading through the, uh, as through the transcript, having listened to the TED talk, like I said, three or four times, and now having read the transcript in preparation for today, that this idea of discourse still still brings me back to that decision making process. And the, and, and when I think back, Sarah, on my own major gift fundraising experiences, Sarah, I can recall experiences with major donors while I'm sitting there at the lunch table, the dinner table with major donors who, because they didn't have anyone else to banter with, if you will, to have that discourse with, 
they would do it with me, the fundraiser, because just like you're describing happening in that living room, you know, in your in your TED talk, you're describing the 20 people in that room and you're inviting them to dinner and stuff. I'm thinking I've had major donors do that because nobody else will do that with them. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and I'm the guy and I'm the guy who's actually going to take their check home. I mean, it's it's I've had major donors argue with me over the purposes and, you know, all sorts of things and still left with the check because that discourse, that debate was part of their decision making process. And it's a learning opportunity, right? <laughs> it's a learning opportunity. And also, you know, we, you know, in all the giving circles that I have, um, you know, facilitated and work with, I always say you need to come with an open mind and an open heart because you may come tonight, you know, with an idea that out of those three or four organizations that we're going to talk about or you're going to hear from, you already, you, you want that one to get like the big check, right? And maybe that is not going to happen. Because mm -hmm. you are putting your individual decision in the back burner because you are part of a group. That is why you decide to be part of the collective, right? Because you are you you need to be okay with the collective decision. And is it easy? No. Sometimes it's very messy. Like you know, getting to a collective decision is messy. And some given circles, you know, have democratic vote voting some some given circles get to consensus i mean yes it is messy but at the end of the day people leave that room you know happy because the decision was made was made collectively right so that for me is you know key is giving collectively gives us this opportunity to practice democracy that individual given doesn't allow us. If you look at the philanthropic dollars and where do they go, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It has to change. It has to change. Because the problem is that people keep giving to the same, you know, handful of organ of big organizations. Why? Because, you know, they have this amazing, you know, marketing and fundraising apparatus that, of course, everybody knows them, right? If you think about human rights, you know where you go. If you think about, you know, disaster relief, you know where you need to give. But what happens to all those small grassroots nonprofits that are on the ground in every single community in this country? Every yeah. single community has these small, you know, family resource centers or, you know, the, 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 the organizations that do uh, everything for certain communities, right? And those organizations, because they are tiny, because they are a lot of times they're led by volunteers or they have, you know, two staff person. They don't have a full time development director looking for grants. They are completely invisible to big philanthropy. So yeah, yeah. when, you know, when things happen and people, you know, the, the public opinion and people start mobilizing resources. The majority of resources go to the same big, huge organizations, leaving all these small organizations with no funding. And, you know, some people may say, well, but we don't need more nonprofits. We should just like kind of, you know, cluster or people should just give to these Merge big nonprofits. And, yeah. yeah, but, you know, the reality is that that doesn't work. Because there are yeah. many communities that need those small grassroots nonprofits. Because yeah. of trust, because of trust, those are the, you know the anchors in a lot of communities. So the beauty with giving circles, because a lot of the giving circle members are part of the same communities that they support. They right. have this insight: what, what right? In what is needed for the community? So those those power dynamics get a little bit get get you know blurred, right? on yeah, who yeah. gives and who receives. And also, you know, and that's the third point that I made on the on the tech talk is this giving with trust, right? And I, I and for yeah, me, you know, yeah. trust is one of the most important parts. And and I would not have even seen the giving circle when the when the giving circle hit my radar 10, 15 years ago, I would not have seen its relevance the way I do now. Donors are tired to feel like they are a transaction. 
You know, I have been doing fundraising for many years and I have, I feel that you can get anybody to give to your cost once. The difficult part is making that person give you twice because that means that person is invested in your cause or your nonprofit or your organization. And that means you are cultivating that donor. And what cultivation means is not a personalized mass email. That is not cultivation. (laughs) It's real relationships, right? And I feel that that is why, you know, giving circles and giving circles, you know, first of all, they are not new, right? They are not American. It's not not something that just pop up. They they have been in existence for forever all over the world. But giving circles are based in relationships. And also, you know, that trust among giving circle members because that that full fund of money is there before you even know where it's going right so there's trust among men among members there's trust around the process but also the whole idea and what i want to really push is that that trust needs to be transferred to the people on the ground to those nonprofit leaders because again, what I don't want is for giving circles to be totally donor centric and all around the donor, right? Because what we're seeing right now, especially after the pandemic, is a lot of giving circles, um, you know, took out all their, you know, processes to to be doing a lot more of trust based philanthropy. To be, you know, instead of putting more hoops for nonprofits to jump to taking all those hoops and to really say, okay, you know, what are those programs that you need to get funded and you don't have that funding for? You know, we have been giving to your nonprofit for five years and we know the work that you do. We shouldn't be asking you every year to, you know, fill out a proposal or doing all this, you know, work, right? So how can we, again, it's not, it's not rocket science. But I think I feel How that. How can we look at people and say, you know, I'm looking at you as a person. I know the, the work that you're doing without, you know, 10,000 processes. But I think there's, enough, there's, there's a super element to this. And I had this recent conversation with somebody else on the, TED, on the podcast here. And it's the idea that when, the, when your group comes together, and I saw this, I saw this when I worked with a particular uh, you know, the that giving circle essentially becomes that high expectation major donor that a lot of our organizations historically are familiar with. They get a high touch, high context relationship. And when that giving circle convenes and goes through that decision making process that a lot of individual donors go through, perhaps individually or with their family foundation or whatever, um, I'm guessing your giving circles are not interacting with their charities. I know they're not. They're not interacting with their charities in this highly passive way. It's an active interact. They're actively interacting with them. Um, okay. And and you don't, you know, Sarah, you writing a check for $1,000 for you or I writing a check to it for $1,000 to any organization right now is very unlikely in, in this country today to get much of a response at all. But 25 of you or me, regardless of who we are, 25 of you, um, you know, you or I or you and I together and 23 other people will necessitate an interaction. It will you're not going to get that twenty five thousand dollars absent an you know, an active relationship between us and the organization. Am I right? Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, the whole idea also um, and I want to, you know, to just say something important because, you know, uh, about six months ago, right after the, the TED talk, um, a journalist asked me, oh, are you against billionaire philanthropy? And I said, no, 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 no. Don't put words into my ma- in my mouth. <laughs> I am, no, no. We, yeah. need, we need billionaire philanthropy. We need sure. big philanthropy. But we also, what I'm advocating for is how do we engage more people? How do we engage everyday people into not only being more aware of what is going on in the world and what is going on in their local communities, but doing something about it and not passive, not, you know, writing a check and call it a day. 
Because in a given circle, the whole idea is that you're not only giving your money, right? You're giving these, you know, five T's. So you're giving your treasure, which is your money. You're giving your time. You're giving your talents. You're giving your ties, which is all mm. your networks, right? Like a, a lot of times, uh, us opening doors for different organizations, it's a lot more valuable than whatever the check amount is. And then your testimony. How can you elevate that voice of that organization, right? Yesterday, someone told me that the average person gets 333 emails per day. <laughs> I mean, who opens that, right? Yeah. How many times? Because I, 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 you know, I catch myself doing that. It's like yeah. delete, 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 delete. Yeah, yes, so yes. as fundraisers, it is a challenge. How are you going to break into that, into all that noise? And what giving circles give is an opportunity for donors to to go deeper, right? To learn yeah. from each other, to to get in love with your cause. Like those giving circles that I started at the Latino Community Foundation, those 500 members are now the biggest advocates of the foundation. Every yeah. single program that the, that the foundation or every single event that the Latino Community Foundation puts on the Giving Circle members are there. And they are, you know, raising other funds for the foundation. They're inviting other people. They're, you know, sharing in social media. So suddenly you have 500 fundraisers. Yeah. Alongside you. And that's, you know, that's the power of this. There's, so uh, unravel that for a moment for me. So when you were at the community, when you were at the foundation there, um, you were, you were actually creating, cause I remember, again, I'm, I'm sort of reflecting on my first interactions with the local giving circle. That was a group of primarily affluent women who sort mm -hmm. of came together and they sort of. And there are many giving circles like that. Many giving yeah, circles. Still yeah. Like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I, but I, what I also saw, what I also noticed, and I'm curious about this, um, is is that common? Do we see women, for example, coming together to form these giving circles more? Because we're in a we're in a white man's town here. White men have get you know. There's a lucky list of ten or twelve old white men that have been giving money away to things, and they very individually do it, and they they have their own priorities, and they you know they they you know pat each other on the back and tell them what to give to, et cetera, et cetera. But this was a group of about twenty five women that came together. Oftentimes, the spouses of some of these these older fellas, um, and said, we're going to make a decision in a different way. Is that is that common? Totally. Actually, you know, uh, the latest research around giving circles was done in 2016. And it sounds like, you know, 50 years ago. Right. Uh, we are actually, thank God, we are kicking off the new research, the new landscape research. Um, we started last month. We're going to have the results around May of next year. Um, to see how the landscape has changed. But what we know from 2016, at that point, we saw that there were about 1,600 giving circles in the U.S. 70% of those giving circles were led by women. Mm -hmm. A big majority of them, white, wealthy women, as you're describing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. In the last five years, there is, uh, um, you know, more diverse giving circles popping up. Uh, and by diversity, is not only about race, but it's also about age, uh, faith, uh, you know, geographic location, uh, interfaith, giving circles, cross-class, cross-race, like, you know, many different giving circles. 84% yeah. um, of giving circles give locally. So, and then out of these 1,600 giving circles that were, you know, back in 2016, um, that involved around 150,000 people. And in the last two decades, those giving circles have given out $1.3 billion. This yeah. is the U.S. Yeah. And that was 2016. Like right now, we know that there are more than 3,000 giving circles already. 
We need to quantify. We're doing this research to quantify, you know, the money out and the number of people involved. But we're, you know, kind of anecdotically, I would say that there is about a quarter of a million people involved in this right now. Um, yeah. But those giving circles, 84, well, half of those giving circles were part of networks. And that is also important, right? They are these big networks of giving circles. Um, they are networks of women giving circles. Those are huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They are also, you know, um, giving circles that are uh, in a network around uh, a race or ethnicity or faith, right? Like there is this big um, network of um, giving circles based on Jewish values uh, based in New yeah. York called Amplifier. Uh, there is a community investment network, which is a network of black and people of color giving circles, mostly in the South. Uh, there is the Impact 100, which are these, it's this huge network of women's giving circles. Philanos, uh, which is this huge, again, network of women's giving circles. There's another uh, network of women's giving circles called Together Women Rise, and they give internationally. So mm -hmm. they get together as women in the U.S., but they get together and support different initiatives uh, outside of the U.S. So, again, you know, the, the, also the beauty of a giving circle is that everybody invents their own rules. They're not set rules. You can get together with your friends and said, you know what, we're going to meet three times a year. We're going to give this amount of money. If we have younger men, uh, they are going to, you know, give less than, you know, the older men or people that are more advanced in their careers. You make up all your rules. And what we do, at, you know, at my organization, at Philanthropy Together, every single thing that we do is open source, is for free. Yes. We give trainings every single month for people that want to start giving circles. We give trainings for community foundations and host institutions that want to start giving circles. So it's just basically the disruption part of the whole thing is we need more people involved. We cannot, you know, having the, the handful of billionaires deciding what gets funded is not enough. We need to get more people involved. So let's let's sit on that before we wrap up. I want to sit on that for a moment because it seems like you have an interesting I'm certain you have an interesting perspective because because of your comment a few moments ago that we don't sort of we don't resent these, you know, billionaire philanthropy, you know, philanthropists are giving money away. So what we just recently saw here in the news is that Jeff Bezos has decided to give one hundred million dollars to um, Dolly Parton. And he's saying to Dolly Parton, you go and give to. Right. In some ways, in some ways, he's creating this very small giving circle. Um, at the same time, Sarah, he's saying you've got me really sort of stirred up here thinking about this. At the same time, he's saying, just like a lot of a lot of these, you know, billionaire philanthropists have in recent history and in the past, you know, that giving money away is hard. And I've seen sort of that snarky response from people on the receiving side who've saying, you know, if you're a billionaire like Jeff Bezos, why should it be all that hard? But maybe what we're getting at here is that giving of any sort at any level, regardless of your level of wealth, it's not that it, it's, it's not really about how much money you have to give away. It's that maybe we feel inclined to go through this decision making process. And when we bring people around the table, it's, it's not like, again, this gets back to sort of this notion that I'm picking on with the idea of the consumer versus the citizen. It's not like going and buying shit at Walmart or something, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're not going and buying a cheap cheeseburger at McDonald's. So regardless of how much we give away, or can give away, even though it seems easy because we might have a lot more in the bank, it feels like it ought to be hard. And by forming these giving circles, we resolve some, this gets back to your notion about discourse. Am I right? That's yes. where that difficulty is. We want that difficult. We don't want it to be easy. Am I right? Yes. And you want it also to be aligned with your values, right? You yeah. want to align, I mean, you want to, you know, be in community with people that align with your values and you want to learn and you want to be more engaged. Like, I feel that especially right now after the pandemic, like people are hungry to get together, to discuss, mm -hmm. to be, you know, around the table, sharing a meal, sharing a glass of wine, learning from each other. We are hungry for human connection again. And what a giving circle is is, you know, at the end of the day, is that. It's just 
you know, getting people together to do something in a joyful way. And something that, you know, always said, it's like, yes, you know, the challenges and the problems that the world faces are huge, but that doesn't mean that giving shouldn't be joyful. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be giving. And I'm totally against with this called, you know, poverty porn, right? I cannot, I cannot. (laughs) It's like, you know, all my years at Latino Community Foundation, we said we're never going to have a face of, you know, a, a sad kid or a sad woman. No. Because we all, you know, every single community has assets and we need to give with an, you know, from an asset point, right? And giving should be joyful. So I, you know, for me, yes, this, this part of getting together, making decisions together, learning in the process and being abundant. I mean, I know this sounds totally as a cliche, right? But you feel great when you give. You do. I mean, you totally do. And I remember, you know, at some point I was managing 23 giving circles. I was going to every single meeting of all those 23 giving circles. Yeah. And, I, you know, sometimes I would fly to L.A. in the morning and go to Orange County and then L.A. and then fly back. And then the morning after going to the Central Valley, I was exhausted. But always driving back home i had you know this stupid big smile in my face because it's energizing it's energizing seeing people getting together and saying oh my god we are you know we just moved fifty thousand dollars and again right like when you're part of a giving circle you're not going to say oh i just gave a thousand dollars no i just gave fifty thousand dollars yeah and that impact that that can have and you know what is another amazing thing of this? We had so many nonprofit leaders that after receiving a grant from a giving circle, calling the day after and saying, hey, I want to join the giving circle as a donor. Right. I want right. to be part of this. Right. Are you seeing cross-pollination? Are you seeing, last question, are you seeing sort of giving circles sort of synchronized to get to, to rally around something or, or, or people being involved, you know, um, you know, you and I are in a giving circle together. And then one of us sort of bails on that group in order to go get engaged with another one. Um, are you seeing sort of that type of activity? I see, you know, I know people that are a part of many giving circles. Right, I, right. I knew this okay. woman that was part of five giving circles at the same time. <laughs> right. And uh, and to your point, um, during last, no, 2020, um, with the racial equity reckoning, we saw three different kinds of giving circles, like a, a Jewish-based, uh, a Black giving circle, and a Latino giving circle in Los Angeles, rallying yeah. together to support the same organizations. Yeah, yeah. And that is, you know, that imagine how powerful is that? Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a wonder because we're t- a lot of us are talking about how do we distribute power, how do we democratize things? Yeah. And 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 that's really I mean, that's the narrative. That's in between the lines of what I see in this conversation about giving circles, about direct giving and mutual aid. Um, is that we're figuring out we're figuring out by design. I I think that's what's most exciting. Um and, and what has sort of morphed my thinking about giving circles is, is that they do have the opportunity to, to really sort of restructure and distribute and move that power away from that center of control that most of our community communities are accustomed to. Um, and once the fundraiser, and it's an interesting, I mean, it's, 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 it's the challenge that the fundraiser, the fundraiser is, you know, I call it the lucky list because of our lo- local community, you know, any, any fundraiser in our local community, has historically known that if you came into town, if you were a new person in town and you got the lucky list of 10 or 12, you know, old white guys, you could, you could generally, and you got to be friends with them and had breakfast with them. You could be successful. Um, This is this idea and a number of others is sort of shaking that up. Yeah. Yeah. And those, and it's interesting too, Sarah. The other thing is, we're adding uh, another 
I'm seeing some of those gentlemen, for example, some of those gentlemen have recently passed, but some of those gentlemen are choosing ways to give and choosing ways to uh, sort of, you know, if, if they, if, if, for example, if they did, if they're, if they have ways to, uh, you know, give the money away so that it continues to give almost like the Jeff Bezos, Dolly Parton scenario, they're giving to some of these collaborative they're like, I, they're, yes. there's like an awareness. There's like an awareness. They're not saying it explicitly. <laughs> they're not saying it explicitly. You know, us fellas don't, don't admit default e- easily, but by their actions, they're kind of saying, Hey, this is a pretty cool way to do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love what that you mentioned that because actually, you know, I know we were talking about giving circles today, but uh, philanthropy together is also also works with donor collaboratives and collaborative funds. Yeah. And uh, and what are those? You know, it's basically as you say, these ultra wealthy, you know, people yeah. getting together to give together, right? Yes. And yes. they are donor collaboratives that move, you know, billions of dollars every year. Like you know, uh, there is the Audacious project moves nine hundred million every year. And what is that? It's a donor collaborative. And again, yes. what is that? It's people understanding that they are going to have a bigger impact when you come together with someone else, right? And when you see power, because in a lot of those donor collaboratives, the donors are not, you know, dictating what is going on. They have a, a small group of experts making that decision and most likely that group of experts has people have people have people from from the community that are you know educating those decisions and educating those you know uh um uh donors so yes a lot of very wealthy people are part of donor collaboratives and actually you know i think Mackenzie scott in the last blog that she wrote she was talking about funds and she was talking about collaborative funds. And they are, you know, yes, they're growing like, you know, sprouting everywhere. Uh, Bridgespan uh, has this report of last year that there are about 400 um, donor collaboratives right now. Every day I hear from another one. It's a, um, you know, it's it's interesting, Sarah. We'll end on this thought, uh, if, if you don't mind. Um, Reflect on this with me. Um, power and control. You know, a lot of this, a lot of this conversation is sort of centered around distributing power and control, and my notion of sort of moving from the consumer to the citizen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and what you're describing is a very practical application of a lot of this sort of shared shared thinking that you and I have. But power and control, I have seen with a lot of the 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 donors that major donors that I've interacted. Power and control eventually wears on you. It eventually wears on you and it saps your energy, right? And so I've interacted yes. with with donors, major donors in our local community are 80 plus years old. They spent two or three decades giving away enormous amounts of wealth centered around this notion of power and control. Um, certainly not democratized by any stretch of the, you know, it was, in, you know, who who he or she wanted to give to, that's where the money went. But it saps yeah. all that joy out of it, you know. And, totally. and you're, and also, not, you're not a part of something. It's 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 not energizing. It's not energizing, and also I feel and I love this that all of these donors and all of these you know ultra high net worth individuals are understanding that at the end of the day, mm. not because you are the one with the money means that you are the expert and you right. know you know what is needed in a yeah. particular community. You need to be educated and learn from the people actually doing the work. They are the ones that know you know what is going on and what is needed. And you as a donor, you have this privilege of being part of getting that funding for these people to do the good work that they do. Sarah, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm sure you and I could keep each other going for another hour, but we lose our listeners at about 45, 50 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, somebody's probably already checked into work this morning and, and we've already lost them. Uh, but for those who have hold on, held on to us for a few more minutes, can you just tell us um, tell us how people find you? How would you like them to reach out to you if they'd like to continue the conversation? And then the other thing is, I know you all have a conference coming up, um, I think after the new year, maybe in the spring. 
Uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that, and I'll make sure to put information about that in the show notes. Awesome. Yes, of course. Uh, how do people find us? Our website is philanthropytogether.org. Um, all of our programs are for free. We also have a YouTube channel with a bunch of videos of, you know, how to do things, or spotlights of giving, different giving circles. Um, we have a community calendar that you can also take a look at. We have a global directory of giving circles on our website. So you can plug your zip code or, you know, different keywords and you can find a giving circle near you to join or you can start your own. Um, find me on LinkedIn, you know, Sara Lomelin on LinkedIn. And then, yes, our um, our summit next year, it's called We Give Summit. And it's going to be the third year that we put it together. It's in May. It's May 2nd. 3rd and 4th of May, 2, 3, and 4 of May. It's a virtual summit. It's free. Uh, we get about, you know, 1,200 people from around the world. All the content from this year and from last year is on the website, wegivesummit.org. Uh, we have, you know, more than 200 hours of content. Incredible content for everybody that, you know, wants to learn more about collective giving and people power philanthropy. So, yeah, thank you so much, Jason, for for having me over. Um, yes, I, I I totally agree that we could be here for a couple more hours. Yes, yes, Sarah, it is it has certainly been a pleasure. Uh, you're always welcome back. Thank you. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read in this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional? Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent challenges our ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.